This is the Medical Musings Podcast, and I'm Ann Johnson, a fourth-year biology student at Georgia Tech. I'm Megan Whitling, a fourth-year biology student at Georgia Tech. And I am Jessica Morris. I'm a fifth-year biology student at Georgia Tech. All of us are currently in a course that explores how health, genes, and society interact with Dr. Gibson, and we are creating this podcast to give a popular audience a better idea of how technology is changing the way that we approach healthcare. Lots of people have recently been getting their genetic data analyzed by genetic testing services. Along with this comes many questions about how these services actually work, how safe your genetic information is after they have access to it, as well as what the information provided by these companies really means. Today, we are going to focus on one specific personal genetic information company called 23andMe. We're focusing on this company because they have analyzed the genetics of over 1.2 million people at this point, and they are quickly growing. And they've also recently received FDA approval to report on more health variants. So Anne, could you tell us a little bit more about what is 23andMe? Yes, Megan. So as I mentioned, 23andMe is a personal genomic service, and they will give you information about your genetic background after you, have, after you send them a swab of saliva. So how this works is you can go to any local CVS or other pharmacy to buy a package, and after you spit into the vial, send them your saliva, you can pay a fee to 23andMe in order for them to analyze sections of your genome. And you can either pay to receive information about your ancestry, information about your health, or about both. Ew, a saliva collection kit. So how do they gather information about your genome from your saliva? That's a great question, Jesse. So there are two different types of ways to analyze genetic data. One is called genotyping, and one is called sequencing. Genotyping is where you can determine what genetic variant an individual possesses. So this is where you look at very specific chunks of the genome that we already have some information about it being relevant. Maybe different diseases have been correlated with with it before. There is some reason that we're interested in this part of the genome. So before you conduct a genotyping test, you have to identify that specific genetic variant that you're interested in. This is kind of like zooming in with a microscope to see only the very small pieces of the bigger picture that you really want to look look at without bringing the rest of it into focus. The other type of DNA testing is called sequencing. And sequencing can be used to determine the exact sequence of all of the DNA. And for this type of testing, you don't have to know the specific genetic variances that you're looking for. It can be used to find genetic variances of unknown significance, so we don't know why they're different than other people's genetics. And it can also be used to discover new things about genetic causes for disease. 23andMe uses the first type of genetic testing I talked about, genotyping, because it is a faster and cheaper process. They don't have to go through your entire genome. They're only looking at those very specific sections that they're interested in seeing if they've changed. Um, Because they're only looking at these specific sections to analyze, they can do it much more quickly and get the results back to you faster. So, Anne, I'm curious. Could you tell me a little bit more about how they report your results? So the thing that these genetic tests can tell you is about whether or not you carry carry a DNA variant that, according to research, is associated with a higher risk of disease. So this is not deterministic, which means that even if you have a gene that is 100% predictive of obesity, that may only be true if you are sedentary on the couch all day, and as an active individual, you could be at a perfectly healthy weight. Currently, all of the information that 23andMe returns to you is more accurate if you are of European descent, because so much more research has been done on genetic information from those hereditary backgrounds. 
So when I had 23andMe, it told me the likelihood that I would have detached earlobes. Could you tell me how these likelihoods are determined? So 23andMe gives you a lot of likelihood percentages from the likelihood that you've worked as a lifeguard to the detached earlobe likelihood. And it determines these from survey questions that it asks its customers to fill out. It then compares your genetic results with other people to determine the people with genetics most similar to yours. And then based on how these people answer the survey questions, such as, do you have detached earlobes? 23andMe then determines the likelihood that you will have the same trait as the people who responded to the survey. This likelihood is determined using two different models, either a statistical or a curated model, depending on the trait. So there's a few differences between these two models. The statistical model is only used for traits that appear to be strongly influenced both by genetic and non-genetic factors that aren't understood very well. So 23andMe figures out which variants are significantly correlated with your trait from all of the data that 23andMe users have that have consented to participate in this research. Then they put users into different categories by generating a score for each trait for each person based on different characteristics. So they don't only look at those genetic variants. They also look at a person's age, sex, and sometimes their ethnicity because these things can also determine the likelihood of having a trait. They then analyze traits through this method, and these traits can include things all the way from hair curliness to freckle type to earlobe type. The curated model, however, is used for traits that are better studied and can be predicted from a small number of genetic variants. So these are controlled by very small amounts, and they're so well understood that we don't have to look as much into the environmental factors that affect them. So these likelihoods are determined by calculating the percentage of the research population, so those people who consented to participate in the research, with the same variant as you who have that trait, and that is considered to be the likelihood of your trait. So if 75% of people with your genetic variant responded that they had bitter taste perception, which is one of these traits, then you would have a 75% likelihood of having bitter taste perception. This type of model is also used to look at things such as skin pigmentation or earwax type. So what do you mean by a predicted trait? So even if you are 95% likely to have a certain trait, you can remember that there are still 5% of people who have that same genetic variant and they don't have the trait, and you could easily fall into that 5% category. This can be especially true for people who have a unique ancestry or who will have less genetic relatives already in the 23andMe database, or for people whose version of the trait is mostly determined by environmental factors or genes not tested by 23andMe. So I remember when I did 23andMe, there were those different things called carrier status reports um, for things like Tay-Sachs disease. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So being a carrier for a disorder means that you have a genetic variant that can cause a certain condition, but you don't necessarily have the condition yourself. So, but you could pass that trait on to your children. So this is something that is important to know about if you're considering having children in the future. Um, and carrier status can be reported for a wide variety of conditions, from cystic fibrosis to sickle cell anemia to Tay-Sachs, as you reported. Um, unlike the likelihood predictions that we discussed before, however, these carrier status reports are not predictions. So the saliva samples that you send in are tested in really special CLIA-certified labs, which is called, which means that it's a Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments Lab, and it's been accredited specifically. So the results that you get back are really validated through this laboratory, and you know that you are going to be a carrier for that condition. There is so much more certainty behind these carrier reports, because 23andMe only reports on variants that are well-studied and not as influenced by other factors like the likelihood traits are. 
I also understand that 23andMe can predict your likelihood of developing a disease in your lifetime. How do they do that? Yeah, so this report can give you that information about whether you're at an increased risk for different genetic medical conditions. Um, If you have one of the variants that 23andMe reports on, it does not mean that you will definitely end up getting the disease. As we discussed earlier, lifestyle as well as environmental factors can put you at a greater or lesser risk for the disease. A really great analogy that I've heard to describe this is if you think about your likelihood of getting a disorder as a cup. Once the cup is running over with water, you have that disease, and different aspects of your life can add up to different amounts of water in your cup. So one person could start already with their cup half full of water if they already have a genetic variant that's associated with, say, type 2 diabetes. But if they continue making really healthy lifestyle choices with exercising and having the right diet, they'll never add more water to their cup, it'll never overflow, and they'll never end up actually getting type 2 diabetes. However, a different person who doesn't actually have a genetic variant for type 2 diabetes may start with no water in their cup, but they may make uh, really unhealthy lifestyle choices with amounts of exercise and the types of diet that they eat, and they may end up developing type 2 diabetes anyway. So that's just to let you know that even if you have a variant for a disease, it does not mean that you can't make decisions that will change whether or not you get that disease, as they're only one of many contributions to health. Um, And though the genetic variants reported are associated with increased risk, there is still a lot of research being done on all of these other aspects that cause disease. Um, And just to give you a few examples of the types of diseases that 23andMe can give you information about, it often talks about, you know, whether you're going to develop Parkinson's disease, late-onset Alzheimer's, as well as things like celiac disease. So it's really important for you to consider the emotional costs of potentially finding out that you have an increased likelihood for one of these incurable diseases, and to consider that your results may impact your ability to receive some types of insurance now or in the future, which we're actually going to talk about in one of our future episodes. One other thing I remember about my 23andMe report was the ancestry component. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So 23andMe can give you a breakdown of your ancestral origins, and this works by looking at a reference data set that 23andMe has of 31 different populations. So they tried to choose these populations to give really good ideas of different country-level groupings of people um, that they could distinguish between. So some populations are just inherently more difficult to tell apart, and there could be a lot of reasons for that. Perhaps the people in those regions mixed more throughout history or have a shared history, or as we discussed earlier, we just don't have enough data to tell those population groups apart. But 23andMe can look through the information that they have and give you an idea of who your ancestors are, and where you got different parts of your background from. So, Anne, once I've given 23andMe my genetic data, what do they do with it? Yeah, Jesse. so when you're filling out the information for them to be able to analyze your data, they ask you to consent to participate in research. And if you choose to consent to participate, your data could be used in a couple different ways. So it's all de-identified, so your name, your birthday, that type of things are not connected to your information. And it is published by 23andMe in some big databases that any researcher can request to access, or different researchers can submit proposals to receive that de-identified data and conduct their own research projects on this. So this research could be, you know, trying to find new genetic variants or new correlations with things that can help us predict different types of disease. That's really good to know. We're actually going to touch on methods of de-identifying genetic data in one of our future episodes on this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please go to tinyurl.com slash healthgenesociety to provide survey data and feedback on personalized medicine. 
Thank you for listening and turn in next time for our new episode of Medical Musings. Our next episode is going to be on the National Organization for Rare Diseases, otherwise known as NORD. So we look forward to you listening in the future.